Well, here we are again. Welcome back to Advancing Our Church. I'm your host, Jim Friend, and I am so grateful to you for joining us on today's show. I know there are so many podcasts out there, but you decided to spend just a little time with me, and I just want you to know that I'm grateful. I think we've had a pretty good start to 2023 so far. We kicked it off by discussing mental health and how we help our clergy and religious in their time of need at the St. John Vianney Center. We heard from David Savage, the executive director of the Papal Foundation. We had a wonderful show with Dr. Susan Winley-Doust and her new book on parish renewal and evangelization called The Four Ways Forward. And of course, our last episode, we visited with Caldwell University's Dr. Matthew Whalen, and we discussed what it means to be a smaller Catholic liberal arts college in today's world. You can always go back and listen to any of our previous episodes. You know, it's interesting, at the end of last year, I was looking at our numbers and downloads in December and We had just as many people listening to old episodes of Advancing Our Church as the new ones. People are always going back and finding a topic or a guest that they're interested in. So, of course, you can find us at advancingourchurch.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts, and I hope we're one of them. And before we get started, I just want to thank our sponsor, Changing Our World. Changing Our World is a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been serving the Catholic Church for more than 20 years. And if you're thinking about a capital campaign or a major gift effort, maybe your annual fund needs a little fine-tuning, or maybe you just need to think through some new engagement strategies with your donors. These guys have run capital campaigns and major gift efforts of all shapes and sizes all around the country and all around the world. I want you to visit their website at changingourworld.com, where you can learn more about their complete suite of services. You can find a link to their website in the show notes of this episode. Once again, thank you to Changing Our World for sponsoring this episode. And now, let's get to work. Today, I speak with Terry Poplava of ACS Technologies on a new study to understand the impact of COVID-19 on Catholic parish giving in the United States. The study was conducted in partnership with the Center for Church Management at Villanova University's School of Business, and it tested two things. First, whether the decrease in church attendance since the pandemic started has led to a decrease in parish collections, and second, if larger parishes with more financial resources were able to weather the storm of the pandemic better than smaller parishes. So according to the study, both of these hypotheses were false. And as you'll hear from our conversation, it uncovered, and I would say confirmed once again, the amazing generosity of parishioners all around the country But it also speaks to a larger concern about attendance and the long-term viability of giving that all of us need to be conscious of. And so, without further ado, here's my conversation with Terry Poplava. Well, Terry, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you here on Advancing Our Church to discuss this really important study that you've put together. Thank you, Jim. I'm glad to be here with you. So your group is ACS Technologies, and you've partnered with the Center for Church Management at Villanova School of Business, which we're all very familiar with. And your study is to measure the impact of the pandemic on parish giving, which I think is very near and dear to all of our hearts, especially those of us who work in advancement or at a diocese. And just so for our listeners, the time period that you study was October 2017 to September 2022. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about the study, how it came about, and maybe a little bit about the process? 
Sure. Thanks, Jim. Well, obviously, as you said, the Center for Church Management at Villanova is a highly respected organization. I've been a longtime fan of what they do and supporting them in their efforts. And at ACS Technologies, we have been working with churches for over 40 years and have compiled a lot of our own experience through our support and our work with parishes and, of course, designing the software that we do. And we also have a significant store of data about behaviors. So we, in talking with, uh, with Villanova, determined that we should take a deeper look at how the data can be turned into something usable. And so we, we thought, clearly, this topic of, of giving continues to be an issue for us. Attendance and giving both are important to our church these days. Right. But we felt like there could be something a little bit more current and a little bit more specific. So we had an accurate representation of what's really happening through 2022 to see if the lingering effects of the pandemic were still here with us in the Catholic Church. And frankly, we're going to do that for other denominations as well. So our intent is to continue this over a series of studies, looking at the impact in denominations, and then perhaps an observation about, you know, if there's any relationship or distinctions between them. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I thought maybe we'd just kind of go through some of the high points that were listed on the study and, and maybe kind of have a little conversation around that. One of them was that you noted that there was a 9% drop in collections during the first six months of the pandemic, and you cited the April to September 2020 time period. And we all remember that. Everybody was trying to get their legs under them, trying to figure out, many pastors are trying to get their masses streaming online, dioceses were beginning to stream online. I know many friends of mine who are diocesan development directors were working hard to help all their parishes to get online. And really, uh, many of them, small staff undergoing a Herculean effort to help, you know, 100 parishes or however many that they serve. So is that how you how, how it kind of came out in, in your study? Or what was that first six months kind of like for, for folks? Well, you know, I think the first six months on the types of things you're talking about are what we can observe ourselves, Jim, and I agree with you. I think a lot of the movement, you know, the impetus that came because of the emergency to get online was really critical. I think that points to our hypotheses, though. If you, What we set out to study was, number one, we're assuming that because attendance is down, that giving's down and continues to be down. So, And we're still seeing challenges with attendance, at least you know, in our observations. And the second one was, we thought probably larger churches would have fared better because they would have had been better equipped to do exactly what you're talking about. Technology, planning, ability to change, ability to respond. And uh, as it turns out, both of those were false <laughs> assumptions. Mm -hmm. I can tell you a little bit more about that. But to your point, the quick movement of churches to get online, and I think also of people in their lives to respond to what they saw as a potential disaster for their church, stepped up to their own giving as well. So the first six months were down 9%. And we arbitrarily looked at six-month increments. It just seemed appropriate because of the church season. Sure. Uh, the second six months, we were already recovering, though. And now we are actually, giving is actually up. I don't think we've said that yet today. The giving, the surprise to us is that giving is up. It's up significantly over pre-pandemic levels, not accounting for the impact of inflation. But that's, I think that's a very hopeful, very wonderful, you know, a chance for us to be optimistic about what's possible in our churches and for our advancement organizations to understand what's going on and why that's working. 
Absolutely. And that was that was another point that you all had made in afterwards. The 989 parishes that you surveyed noted in the second year, there was a 3% increase in giving, which does track with when you look at some of the national numbers and also tracks with, as you said, many parishioners really stepped up in a very meaningful way, and in some cases, increasing their donations. And we'll talk about that in a second. But but they really made up for the ones maybe who didn't come back and, and wanted to help out their parish and saw a need. And we, we saw that in, I saw that with other organizations, Catholic colleges, other nonprofits, people wanted to do something because they are locked up down. In many, many cases, though, their stock portfolios were doing very well. The, the economy was doing well, the stock market was doing well, and so people wanted to give back. And I think in, in the world of fundraising, what we were at the time I was working for Changing Our World, we were advising our clients, don't presume someone's financial state just because we're in a pandemic. We have to keep asking because if we don't ask, the mission's going to suffer. Well, you know, our purpose didn't change just because there was a pandemic, right? right. You know, at right. the core of it, remembering that we are given Christ was given. This is a faithful response. I, it, the, I think part of the challenge for us continues to be, did the pandemic disrupt those who were on the edge and didn't really make this connection to you know, our opportunity to evangelize and build the kingdom through financial giving as well as our own personal gifts? And it, the importance of it could get lost in some of the temporal emergencies. Sure. So yeah, that was still always true. And fortunately, we have a good core group of people who seem to realize that and, and respond. But nevertheless, another point you made was that while the, the inc- there is an increase in uh, donations, there's still a decrease in attendance or the number of people that are giving. And the d- decrease in attendance is something that everyone has felt. Still, does it slightly remain below 16% or is that as of the, the end of your study? That's right. Through So the study officially through March of this year, right. we're still seeing 16% fewer people giving. Right. On average, the people who are giving are giving 24% more wow. than they were before the pandemic. So that's why we're seeing an, a, a bit of an increase, which is exciting, but disturbing at the same time, because we're depending on fewer people to give more And that is probably not sustainable for our church for multiple reasons. And then the, you know, the other impact that we did look at was inflation. The impact of inflation means that the actual value of that increased dollar is really not getting a church any further down the road. They're basically inflation is sort of taking away the additional impact as it comes down. I think it will help, but currently that reduces the impact to actually a a little bit down from where we were before the pandemic. Yeah, you you touch on a very important point that I've been following carefully, especially I think all of us have been following the inflation you know news that we've seen from our president and and from other news sources. But your study calculated an eleven percent less spending power for parishes as of twenty nineteen, which was a while ago, and we know that in, in inflation has continued to increase. So that number eleven percent could actually is probably considerably higher today. I think so. Actually, I was wondering as it tapers off, it probably is a little bit higher, but I, you know, I'm hopeful that as the inflation overall starts to come down, we'll see that correct itself. Right. And then, of course, the other really important point that you make is fewer donors and the fact that that's not sustainable. The Villanova School for Church Management, how, how are you advising pastors in, in this economy or in, in light of this study to take action? Well, Jim, and you know, a lot of 
ideas here, trying to work across different organizations plus sure. our own organization. But it, it seems to me that we have, I'm actually calling it a dilemma of generosity, hmm. uh, that we have lost the connection that I talked about earlier, the, t- the connection to being grateful <laughs> that we're here, that we're, everything we have. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, what I, my tact is we need to return to core stewardship principles and teaching, which it seemed we did really, really well for a few decades. And then it, that conversation seems to have vanished from, from my parish experience anyway. I don't hear it much anymore. Yeah. Not as well reinforced as we, that, that really, returning to recognizing that all we are and all we have is a gift from God and that our gift back is our reflection of that back to our call, you know, even to the great commission. So to me, it's, it's, um, I wish there were a quick fix because the the simpler and, and most immediate thing is we need to do a very effective job at showing results, showing impact of what is happening and not just for campaigns and not just for annual appeals, but offertory, what the church is doing, what the mission is doing, why we're here, that that ongoing message should be happening in our parishes. And it doesn't, you know, we don't, we take it for granted because it's supposed to be a gift, but re- reflecting that helps people to understand that in fact, there is positive, there are positive things happening. So through witness talks, through examples of ministry, potentially social outreach, causes that are not capital-based, are really important for our parishes to do. That's critical. That communication is critical. And then on top of that, returning to why are we why are we here in the first place, which is an important connection back to our our church and our faith anyway. Uh, and having that response be the response of discipleship, a faithful disciple. I, I couldn't agree more. It's interesting, as you say. I the bishop's pastoral on stewardship came out in 1992, which was over 30 years ago. And I'm not sure if any any of the bishops are still around who are a part of that. And certainly there was a movement around that time in the 90s and 80s and 90s and 2000s. But it has tapered off. You don't hear pastors talking about stewardship as much as perhaps they once did. Maybe it's a different generation. Sometimes I hear, oh, it's so passe and it's such an overused word. But it is about discipleship. You know, if we truly understand the principles and the spirituality of stewardship, we recognize that it is about being disciples of Christ. And that comes from a deeper prayer life, you know, that 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 desire to be a disciple and a follower. And everything else kind of follows suit, whether it be sharing your time or sharing your resources with your local parish. So perhaps that is the, as you say, the core movement that we need to get back to, a prayer, giving. And this upcoming season of Lent is is certainly a a great opportunity to think about that and pray about that. It is. And I appreciate that you emphasize prayer, Jim. You're you're right. It does come down to a healthy, sincere prayer life personally and in communion with others. I, I've done a lot of looking at different traditions recently, and regardless of what it is, this important core, a healthy prayer life is at the core of it. And so, yes, I, I agree. It's, it's prayer and reflection, listening for the word, you know, the listening for the intent, trying to discern where we should be, what we should be doing so that we feel that we should be compelled to be at mass. I, in fact, doing some of the research I was doing on stewardship, I did see Bishop Kemi is still talking about it. There's a wonderful quote that's paraphrasing is about all we are is from God. 
Yep. And so perhaps we set aside stewardship and we lose time, talent, treasure. But to be alliterative, the trite time, talent, treasure is not helpful <laughs> for most people. I, it does exactly what you're saying. We fall back into, oh, yeah, that again. And yeah, and it's about money. We've got to get past the it's about money to it's about a generous response to the gifts that we have and that we are. And maybe if a pastor is listening to this conversation, maybe the first place to start is is with prayer. And the second place to start is is just with simple engagement. How are we meeting the needs of our community where they're at? And how are we being invitational? And how are we, you know, because part of stewardship is also around evangelization and, and outreach. And many pastors are challenged with trying to figure out how do we get people to come back to Mass? As my bishop have heard him say, we ask them to move from the most comfortable chair in their living room to come back to what is maybe a less comfortable chair in the pew. Sometimes for some folks, that is a big journey, but in other cases, they may still be afraid of, you know, the, the virus and the implications and, and what they hear on the news. So engagement, I think, is another place, I think, for, for folks to look at even before you make that ask of doing a formal stewardship initiative or as step one in the stewardship initiative. Jim, uh, you're you're on a topic that excites me a lot because I agree. How often have we said you have to meet people where they are? Yep. So this it, it needs to be evangelizing before catechizing, as we put it in the Catholic parlance. You know, we don't need to be forcing everything up front. We need to be engaging people in welcoming and building a bridge of trust so we can bring them into our community. I'll go back to one other thing, though. I think as part of engagement, again, when you look back at the, you know, 2013 to 2015 timeframe is when Al Winsman was writing for Gallup and the research about what it means to be engaged is those who have a sense of where their organization is going and that they're participating in that. That also came out of the Notre Dame study uh, from Smith and Starks, that we have a sense of direction, we're part of it, and we are growing. And that is part of engagement, I think, is that the churches really do need some kind of for lack of a better term, a plan or some priorities or some sense of direction so that that can be part of the communication of what we're doing. And then why what we're doing has an impact um, is, again, sort of reporting out on what's happening as a result of this focus that we have. It's a little bit too businessy for some churches in terms of the response. And yet I think it's so important that we find a way to do this in, a, in the appropriate spiritual way so that people aren't just showing up, right. that we collectively are moving forward. And so we hear the message in the context of where we're going and what our mission is for our parish. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Terry, what's next? You mentioned studying some other denominations and, and something similar, but uh, what, what are some of the other studies you're thinking about down the road? Well, a couple of things. One, thank you for this opportunity. I'd like to mention this. So this focus with Villanova yeah. which we're also expanding for those who you know are interested to Wheaton College as well for their look in more evangelical uh, churches, is going to continue to look at deeper dives into different questions. But there's a big work effort, a research effort to look at the lifetime value of a donor that's underway as well. So that, that will be across denominations. I think that will be very meaningful for all of us as like a sense. So excited to see more about that as it as it comes out. So there'll be this over a series of different denominations, and then we'll come back and start to look at questions of generations, uh, maybe dive a little bit more into regional questions. It's, we anticipate it being ongoing. We also have another research study that we do every four years, 
that I do think we need to get out more prominently than we have. It's called American Beliefs, and that is a survey. This, these other ones are studies of existing data. The survey is about our beliefs, our preferences, our religious needs, our social needs as well, across 15,000 respondents. Uh, and there's some pretty interesting findings there. For example, we have seen that in the past four years, the equivalent of Los Angeles, New York, and Chicago have left Christianity. Wow. You know, you can look at some of these and it just puts in front of you, it reinforces some of the challenges we see. But it also uh, looks at what people are looking for in a church and what they need. And I think it challenges us uh, as Catholics to figure out how to respond to what, what, that, uh, what the findings are in that study as well. Well, you're, you're crossing many, uh, many disciplines or many departments in the Catholic Church, if you will, with what, with what you're putting together, the, the engagement of the nuns and, and those who are falling away from Christianity and or not as, ascribing to any religion, as we know, is something that's continued just to grow in exponential numbers over the, over the last several years. That's exciting uh, that you're going to be studying that. Will there also be some possible recommendations, we hope, on how to better engage, as, as we said before, even in those conversations, those are much deeper conversations, I would imagine, and trying to re-engage someone in the faith, of course. Yes, they are. And I, I do think they're challenging for us on what that means, because right. there's this question of relevance, you know, how the Catholic Church can respond while being faithful to who we are and still finding a way to appeal to people who are in the community. There are some things being done that I think are pretty exciting and some good parish examples even, but in the study, and the reports that we have, there are some suggestions about what to do. Plus, we're doing some further questions uh, on that as well to dig into some things. Uh, for example, one of the top responses of what people are looking for in a church is a warm and welcoming community. And so, you know, the question is, what does that mean? But right. It doesn't really surprise. I think we all have an idea what that might mean. Sure. But we want to look at that a little bit more. But I think that's really important for us to say, okay, how do we act on that and use it to bring people to us? Absolutely. And welcoming, as you say, is so relevant. But I, I agree. I think uh, there needs to be a, you know, and perhaps even going back to the beginning portion of our conversation, when you think about re-engagement or getting people back in the pews, perhaps we've taken that for granted, that perhaps somehow we forgot to catechize and evangelize those who are attending Mass all along. When we think about the record number of people who do not believe in the real presence of the Eucharist, in fact, my, my wife and I just this morning signed up for the Eucharistic Congress in 2024, so we're excited to be going to Indianapolis. Good for you. That should be really exciting. 80,000 yeah. people expected. And I, I have a feeling for those who are listening that those seats are going to go fast since it's open to everybody. So we jumped on it and reserved our two seats. But those kinds of opportunities, I think we need to rekindle and, and re-excite and reimagine what it means to be a Eucharistic people. And I think sometimes we forgot to do that with the folks who, sitting, who are sitting next to us in the pews. And we just assume, as you said maybe before, that they're going to give, that they're going to be involved, that they're going to show up. As Dan Salucci says from CLI, what if they don't come back, right? And, and many of them haven't. Right, exactly. And this question that you we were just talking about, those who've fallen away out of habit, I think that's really a target and should be a target for our Eucharistic Congress. So one of the other things we're looking at is what can we do from our resources that might help dioceses see the people that aren't naturally responding? We'll have a great response from people who are well down the path, people like you that are like, yes, I can't wait to go. 
But what about the people who are on the edge, who we really want to reach? If we could find a way to invite any small percentage of them to be part of this huge focus that we have as a church and the beauty of the of the Eucharist, it seems like a big opportunity. So we're I'm trying to find the right answer that we might have through some of our resources to get a chance to identify who those people are so we can reach out to them. It makes sense that if we can re-excite or re-evangelize the people who are already connected to us, we'll better have a better shot at working on the nuns and those who have much deeper questions about their faith and have really taken a stand that they're just not going to be a part of any religion. And this study that you've done, I think, is is probably a good first step in, in examining that conversation and maybe shedding a light on it. I, I think so. And it's, it's difficult for us. <laughs> it is. It's painful to look in the yeah. mirror and say, oh, this is where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. But that tends to be how growth happens, and we'll we'll continue to to move forward with it uh, as we do. So thank you, and uh, thank you to, to Villanova, uh, Matt Mannion, I've known for many years for doing this study and beginning these conversations because the church needs it. And uh, I know there's a lot of pastors and diocesan professionals who will be looking at this study and and looking for what's next and and how do we now take this to the next level and make this actionable. Yes, we're and grateful to Matt as well, and all of the work and insights, uh, work that he's done and insights. He has a wonderful asset for us. Glad to be working with him and very grateful to have this opportunity to talk with you, Jim. Thank you so much. Thank you, Terry. We will continue to keep an eye on your studies. And as new ones come out, well, we'd love to have you back on the show to discuss them and, and their implications and, and what you're recommending as they go forward. Thank you for all you're doing for the church. I want to thank Terry for being on our show this week and for discussing this important study. I'll leave a link to Terry and the study in the show notes of this episode, and we will continue to follow this story and other patterns and trends in giving right here on Advancing Our Church. Once again, thank you, Terry Poplova, for being on our show today. Well, that's our show. Special thanks this week to Carrie Klein at Mission Advancement Partners for coordinating this week's interview. And as always, to our partner, Pottery Studios, for helping to produce another great show. So how can you help this podcast? Well, I would be so grateful to you if you would leave us a rating wherever you downloaded this podcast. It takes just two seconds, and it really helps to improve our circulation and helps us to get noticed. And if this is your first time listening to Advancing Our Church, I hope you're going to stick around and subscribe. You can find us on all places where you download your favorite podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, you name it. And for more information about our show, visit us at advancingourchurch.com. And once again, many thanks to our sponsor, Changing Our World. You can find a link to their website in the show notes of this episode. Well, that's it for me, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful and prayerful season of Lent. Have a great week. Take care and God bless.